Welcome to 5 at 8. I'm Mark Overman, and I'm here with Linda Carlisle on Monday, November 20th, 2023. Here's the day's top news. In this episode, we will talk about Yemen's Houthi rebels claiming responsibility for hijacking an Israeli-owned ship, major tech companies facing lawsuits for exposing children to harmful products, the election of right-wing outsider Javier Millet as the president of Argentina, NASA's mission to search for signs of life on Jupiter's moon Europa, and GS Caltech Singapore selling its first cargo of biofuel-blended marine gas oil. Stay tuned for all the news of the day. Story number one. According to Al Jazeera, Yemen's Houthi rebels have claimed responsibility for hijacking an Israeli-owned ship in the Red Sea. The ship, called Galaxy Leader, was en route from Turkey to India and reportedly owned by an Israeli businessman. The Houthi military spokesman warned that any ship belonging to Israel or its supporters would be a legitimate target. Israel has condemned the incident as an Iranian act of terrorism and called for the immediate release of the ship and its crew. The U.S. has also expressed concern and demanded the ship's release. Tensions in the region have escalated due to the ongoing conflict in Gaza. Could you believe this, Linda? The Houthi rebels hijacking a cargo ship in the Red Sea. It's like we're back in the golden age of piracy. Only now it's become a tool in the hands of non-state actors involved in serious geopolitical conflicts. It's a bit chilling, isn't it? It certainly is, Mark. It's like a throwback to the past, but with a dangerous modern twist. These incidents aren't just about robbery or ransom anymore. They're becoming a new form of asymmetric warfare. It's concerning how it's spilling over into international waters, threatening maritime security. Right you are, Linda. It's not just about the economic impact anymore. Though that's still a significant factor. I mean, disrupting international trade routes and all, it's a big deal. But it's more about the political implications now. It's no secret that the Houthis are backed by Iran, and this incident is just another episode in the escalating tensions between Iran and Israel. It's also important to look at the human element here. There were 22 people on board the Galaxy Leader when it was hijacked. The well-being of these crew members becomes a pawn in a larger geopolitical game. It's distressing. Yeah, it's a real mess. And it makes you wonder about the role of international law in all this. I mean, the U.S. National Security Council called it a flagrant violation of international law. But what does that really mean in terms of action and consequences? Indeed. It's a complex issue. International law can often seem like a paper tiger in these situations. But it's crucial that the international community stands united in response to these threats, to maintain the security and freedom of our seas. Story number two. According to the BBC, hundreds of families in the United States are suing major tech companies, including Meta, owner of Facebook and Instagram, TikTok, Google, and Snap Inc., owner of Snapchat, for knowingly exposing children to harmful and addictive products. The plaintiffs argue that these platforms are designed to be harmful, and they cite the case of Molly Russell, a 14-year-old British schoolgirl who died by suicide after being exposed to self-harm and depression-related content on social media. A federal judge has ruled that the companies cannot use freedom of speech protections to block the lawsuit, and that the lack of age verification and parental controls are not issues of freedom of expression. The tech companies deny the claims and intend to defend themselves. One plaintiff, Taylor Little, shares their personal experience of addiction to social media and the negative impact it had on their mental health. 
They believe that winning the lawsuit is crucial for bringing about positive changes in the social media industry. I mean, it's a real shocker, right? This lawsuit is essentially accusing tech giants of knowingly creating addictive and harmful products for children. And it's not just a couple of angry folk, we're talking about hundreds of families across the United States. What's your take on this, Linda? This case is highly significant, as it challenges the very design of these platforms, claiming they are crafted to be addictive and potentially harmful. This isn't about individual offensive posts or comments, but about the systemic issues within the platforms. Yeah, that's the crux of it. And it's not just about addiction, is it? There are serious implications for mental health, as illustrated by Taylor Little's story. Can you delve into that aspect? Absolutely. Many argue that these platforms can contribute to feelings of inadequacy, anxiety, and depression, particularly among young users. Graphic content, such as self-harm images or those promoting eating disorders, can be easily accessed, often without any warning. For impressionable minds, this can be extremely damaging. That's... that's terrifying. It makes you wonder, are these tech companies doing enough to protect their users, especially the younger ones? That's a good question, Mark. Some argue that these companies could do a lot more in terms of moderation and age verification. While these companies do have certain guidelines and restrictions in place, the effectiveness of these measures is often debated. But aren't they protected by the First Amendment, freedom of speech and all that? I remember reading something about that. Well, in this particular lawsuit, a federal judge ruled that the First Amendment doesn't block the action. The judge deemed that issues such as a lack of robust age verification and poor parental controls were not matters of freedom of expression. This was a significant ruling. Sounds like a game changer. But the tech companies, they're denying these allegations. How much responsibility should they bear for the content hosted on their platforms? Well, that's a complex question, Mark. On one hand, these platforms provide a space for free expression. But on the other hand, they are also responsible for ensuring the safety and well-being of their users. Striking a balance between these two is quite challenging. However, the public sentiment is increasingly leaning towards holding these tech companies accountable for the negative impact of their platforms. Story number three. Javier Millet, a right-wing outsider, has won the presidential election in Argentina, signaling a desire for radical political change in the country. According to the BBC, Millet's promises to destroy the central bank, cut government spending, and adopt the U.S. dollar as the official currency resonated with voters amidst Argentina's economic crisis and high levels of poverty. However, there are concerns about how he will navigate the challenges of governing and whether he will moderate his agenda. Millet's proposed changes extend beyond the economy, including plans to loosen gun laws and ban abortion. His victory represents a departure from the traditional political scene dominated by the Peronist movement and introduces a new kind of politics likened to Donald Trump and Jair Bolsonaro. The exact nature of the change Millet will bring remains uncertain. Did you see this, Linda? Javier Millet, a far-right outsider, has won the presidential election in Argentina. Now that's a radical change. The guy is planning to slash government spending, adopt the U.S. dollar as the official currency, and even loosen up gun laws. It's quite a shakeup for a country that's been dominated by the Peronist political movement for so long. It's a clear signal that Argentinians wanted a change, and a drastic one at that. But the question is, will this kind of radical change be good for Argentina in the long run? 
The country is already dealing with an economic crisis, with over 140% annual inflation and two out of five Argentinians living in poverty. It's a precarious situation, and radical measures could either offer a solution or exacerbate the issues. You've got a point there, Linda, and it's not just about the economic policies. Mille has also pledged to ban abortion. Now remember, Argentina legalized abortion just last year, improving sexual and reproductive health rights for women across a traditionally conservative region. This kind of reversal could lead to some serious societal divides. The social implications of these changes are significant. And let's not forget his stance on international relations. Mille has criticized China and Brazil, calling them communists, and yet, they're Argentina's biggest trading partners. This could potentially strain Argentina's international relations and further complicate its economic situation. Yeah, Linda. And there's another thing that caught my attention. Millet and his vice president, Victoria Villarruel, have been accused of questioning the official number of victims during Argentina's military dictatorship between 1976 and 1983. That's a serious matter, and it could raise questions about their commitment to democratic principles. That's a valid concern, Mark. And it brings us back to the question of how these radical changes will affect Argentina's political and social landscape. Will Millet be able to navigate the crisis without causing further upheaval? Or will his radical approach lead to political gridlock and social unrest? Only time will tell. Story number four. NASA, as reported by the Washington Post, is sending a spacecraft to Europa, one of Jupiter's moons, to search for signs of life. Europa is believed to have a liquid ocean beneath its icy surface, and scientists think that radiation from Jupiter could provide the energy needed for life. As part of the mission, NASA is inviting people to submit their names to be engraved on a microchip that will be attached to the spacecraft. The spacecraft will also carry a poem by U.S. poet laureate Ada Lyman. Names can be submitted until December 31st. Whoa, Linda, this news about NASA's mission to Europa is something else, isn't it? Sending a message in a bottle to another moon. It's like we're trying to make the universe our own personal message board, isn't it? It's quite fascinating how we're using our scientific capabilities to try and reach out to potential life beyond our planet. It's not just the scientific aspect, but the inclusion of art. A poem by Ada Lyman in this case, that adds a unique touch to this mission. It's like we're not just sending a scientific probe out there, but a piece of our humanity as well. Ah, uh, that's a good point, Linda. So it's a uh, dot 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 IT quote S, like we're extending an olive branch to the universe, huh? And this isn't the first time we've done something like this, right? Correct, Mark. Back in the 1970s, during the Voyager spacecraft mission, NASA sent golden phonograph records containing images, sounds, music, and spoken greetings in 55 languages. It was, as Carl Sagan put it, a bottle thrown into the cosmic ocean. It's a beautiful sentiment, really, if you stop to think about it. Yeah, it quote S dot 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 IT, quote S, definitely something else. So, uh, this mission to Europa, they believe it could actually support life, right? Because of this, this liquid ocean below its icy surface? Yes, that's right, Mark. Beneath the icy surface of Europa, scientists believe there is a vast liquid ocean. And not only that... But the chemical activity happening beneath the water could potentially produce conditions that can sustain living organisms. Although sunlight cannot reach beneath Europa's ice, the radiation from Jupiter could provide a viable energy source. Well, that's... that's just amazing. And, uh, folks can actually get their names on this mission, right? Like, they're literally sending a part of us, our names, into space. 
It's like a cosmic time capsule. People can submit their names to be stenciled onto a microchip, which will then be attached to a metal plate engraved with Ada Lyman's poem. It's a wonderful way of involving the public in this exciting mission. Story number five. GS Caltech Singapore has sold its first cargo of biofuel blended marine gas oil to Maersk Oil Trading, MOT, at the world's largest bunker hub in Singapore, as reported by Reuters. The sale is part of GS Caltech's plans to expand its biofuel supply chain overseas. The company delivered 1,000 metric tons of marine gas oil blended with 24% of used cooking oil, methyl ester, UCOM, to MOT's bunker barge on an ex-wharf basis. Maersk has since delivered the fuel to its container ships in Malaysia. GS Caltex is looking to ramp up its supply of bio-blended marine gas oil. Did you catch that news about GS Caltech Singapore making its first sale of biofuel-blended marine gas oil to Maersk Oil Trading? I mean, this is significant, Linda. It's a clear sign that the shipping industry is starting to take carbon emissions seriously and is open to exploring cleaner fuel options. It's indeed a significant development. What I find particularly interesting is that GS Caltech is not only focusing on the domestic market, but is also planning to expand its biofuels supply chain overseas. It shows their commitment to promoting greener and more sustainable fuel alternatives on a global scale. Right, right. And, you know, it's not just GS Caltech. More biofuel bunkering trials are taking place at key global maritime hubs this year. This is an industry-wide shift, and I think it's about time. The shipping industry has a massive carbon footprint, and they've got to start doing their part to reduce it. But it's important to acknowledge the challenges that come with this shift. Biofuel-blended marine gas oil is still a rare blend for bunkering in Singapore, and most trials have involved marine fuel blends derived from mixing biofuel with fuel oil instead of gas oil. It's a complex process, and it will take time to fully integrate it into the industry. Yeah, you're spot on there, Linda. There are definitely some hurdles to overcome, but the potential benefits are huge. Not just for the environment, but also for the economy. Biofuels could open up new markets and create jobs. It's an exciting time, for sure. And let's not forget the role that certification plays in all this. It's not just about producing biofuels, but ensuring they are sustainably sourced and produced. The fact that the UCOM used in the biofuel blend is certified by the International Sustainability and Carbon Certification is an important detail. It reflects a commitment to not just shifting to biofuels, but doing it in a way that truly benefits the environment. It's not enough to just switch to biofuels. We've got to do it right. And speaking of doing it right, it's great to see companies like GS Caltech investing in infrastructure to support this shift. Leasing biofuel storage tanks, blending bio-MGO at the terminal, these are steps in the right direction. Right. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.